Hello everyone, Dr. Anna Kabeca here on Couch Talk, which as you know is an intimate place for intimate conversation where we can talk about topics fearlessly, shamelessly, and guiltlessly. And today we have a really awesome topic and we're gonna be talking about caregiving and caregiving bonuses and caregiving stresses as well. And so with me today, I have an amazing woman, actually a very wise woman, um, a, a sneak peek into the title of her book, and, and she is Laura Stewart. Laura, it's awesome to have you here with us today. It's an honor to be here. I love chatting with you. Likewise. So Laura has gone from successful entrepreneur to award-winning international best-selling author and radio host to strategist, and most of all, closest and dearest to her heart, her heart a full-time caregiver for her mom. Laura Stewart has learned that the questions you ask yourself and others make all the difference in the answers you get. Her motto is, the right question can change your life. But how do we navigate the emotional roller coaster of caregiving for a parent when you are alone and not a medical professional? Laura today is going to share her struggles and challenges and the precious moments along with the lessons learned to help you on your own journey. So Laura's website is laurastewart.com, so L-A-U-R-A-S-T-E-W-A-R-D.com, and you can get more information there. Laura, welcome today. Talk to us about how you've got into this point in your life, to this journey. Well, you know, it's really quite fascinating. You, you never realize where your life is going to go when you start planning it out. Okay. You know, they, they say that humans plan, God laughs. And, you know, the, the trajectories my life has taken in my 52 years of being on this planet are, are quite insane. I, I started out working corporate. Um, I then started my own company. I had a technology services company, a multi-state company for 15 years. I ended up selling it and, you know, embarking on a whole nother reinvention career of being an author and a strategist and consultant and a radio host, which I never thought would happen. And so much of it started because my brother was so ill when I was little. He died when I was 10 years old. Sorry. From a, yeah. And, and it, you know, like you don't realize quite how much those moments when you're a little kid watching somebody be so sick all around you had a congenital heart defect today, they could easily fix it. Sometimes even in utero, they could fix the issue that he had, but they couldn't back in 1960 when he was born. He was three years older than me. And I made so many choices along the way, but what I'd learned was if you don't ask the right questions of the medical professionals, of your parents, of, of anybody around you, the answers you get really are worthless. They're, they're not going to take you perhaps in the most efficient direction or the right direction. Sometimes the tangents you take are pretty good and, and other times they're not and you find you keep circling back. I mean, have you ever been there where you just keep circling back around to the same thing and you go, how did I get here? Um, the real caregiving journey, I think, came from when I got misdiagnosed with um, an illness that I had, and they, I actually had some, the chief of infectious disease of a major hospital told me I was sick because I was depressed because I wasn't with a man. 
which, you know, as a woman and a doctor, uh, I can just imagine how appalled you are by that conversation that was told to me. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing because I knew there was something wrong. And it turned out I had Babesia and it had gone into my brain from a, from a tick bite. And I finally got to the right doctor who was able to help me heal and get through everything. And that began this process where when my dad got diagnosed with Parkinson's, I knew I couldn't just have him written off because there were so many things that the doctors, especially in the area where I live in Florida, just didn't know the answers to. But they were kind of available if you're willing to just start talking and asking questions of doctors I would connect with all over the world. And my father said to me, well, I can't ask those questions of my doctor. And I was like, why not? And he goes, well, he, he may not want me as a patient anymore. And they said to him, well, if your doctor doesn't want you as a patient because you asked him a question about your own health care, then we have a more serious problem. And I ended up taking on the responsibility of literally translating for my mom and dad what was being said in the doctor's offices and in the hospital whenever he got admitted and making sure that they were paying attention to the human being in addition to the, the diagnosis he had. And they wrote my father off as dead multiple times or dying and discovered very quickly that that wasn't the problem because a nurse asked my father a question and she realized that he was, it wasn't Parkinson's causing his passing out. It was um, a vasovascular response. So basically his blood pressure would drop when he was going to the bathroom. Such a crazy, simple thing. And she's like, okay, well, let's fix your constipation issues, which come from the Parkinson's drugs. Fixed it. Dad had another three amazing years of life. Mm, so little tweaks. Little, little tweaks. And, and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, th this journey to writing my book, which is called What Would a Wise Woman Do, came because my parents taught me that if you don't ask, they won't say yes. Mm -hmm. And that if you don't ask, you may not get answers that can move you forward. And then I moved down to Florida to help take care of my parents. My dad passed away. I, I ended up getting married. My husband had open heart surgery. My mom had open heart surgery eight months later. My dog got cancer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got sick again. Gee, I wonder why. A little bit of stress. You know, you and I were talking because you're going through caregiving responsibilities yourself. And it's a different level of stress that you never imagined happening. I thought I could handle anything, but it's my parents. It's people I, I love and care so deeply about. How do, you, how do you deal with it? So, you know, my journey was, is kind of crazy. And I love where I've ended up taking care of my mom. And there are days I just want to shoot myself. I just want to curl up in a corner and cry. And when she asked me the same question over and over and over and over and over again in, in 10 seconds, because she literally does not remember, I, the patience wears thin. <laughs> oh, oh I, I totally, and, and you're not alone, right? But you're not alone. And I think caregivers are feeling isolated. 
you know, my la latest sequence of emails I've written on healthy aging, I've written on caregiver stress. I mean, I've spent the last couple months really writing about this, including the next easing that will come out is on, you know, questions people have emailed me back in and I'm just saying, okay, try this for your mom, try this for your dad. These are foundational yeah. things that will make a difference. And because, because it is, it's true, you know, for, for there's a, you know, you think, okay, caregiving, caregive, like for my dad, like I caregive for my kids when they were small, but it's different. It's totally different. It's not the same emotional, um, uh, attachment or paranoia, right? Because we know they're so fragile. Yeah. We know how fragile they are. They are. And, and also that when they're not well, they're tough. And unlike a child, they're not going to grow out of it. Right. I mean, unless you have a sick child, which I happen to have several friends who have, you know, some serious health issues in their children, they're not getting better. So they're not going to move on and move out of the house and, and you'll have it. You're just watching them deteriorate. And I never had children. So I don't even have anything to compare it to. So I have to call friends who have had kids and say, okay, I feel like she's acting like a three-year-old. How did you deal? Is, is this true? Tell me about this situation and how you handled it. And I'm having to learn how to be a parent to my 86-year-old mom. Oh, that's so true. Well, let's help other caregivers that are listening today and um, talk about the things that we've learned caring with our parents. You've learned uh, caring for your mom. And let's go over the first really critical issue is, you know, how do you talk to your doctor about this? Stay, you know, with like respectful conversation and um, with concern. And again, we're intelligent women. And, you know, I'm a physician too. And I find that I have to go around things with my dad's doctor very carefully as well. Um, really? That's fascinating. Sometimes not so PC, not so politically correct because I do have, you know, all my basis in functional medicine. So I just, you know, for me, I do these things and things I've talked about, it's on the side. It's, you know, it's just part of that complimentary angle that I take for helping dad. And, and we can talk about some of those too. But first, tell me the three, you know, the key thing that you need to be able to speak to doctors in their own language, how, how to be taken seriously and um, be an ancillary support for them, giving advice for us, for our patient, right? Their patient, our patient as well. Um, and how, how do you do that? How do you address that? And that was one of the hardest things, like you said, because, I mean, and you're a doctor, right? So you're immediately walking in there with a certain level of credibility and credentialing that the average caregiver does not have. Oh, they I have no medical. And, and let me tell you, I'm too much rather say, okay, this is what you do. Boom. Here you go. Right. I tell you, it's easier. Yeah. Uh, I, and <laughs> the, the political correctness, the respect, the that conversation is a little hard when you're dealing with you know medical illness you may not know anything about so for one of the things i think is so important is research find you know google whatever diagnosis is going on and understand it 
and when you understand it, I mean, there's so many resources out on the web. I, I love WebMD. I love Wikipedia. And I love forums around, like, if you're dealing with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or memory issues, there are so many resources out there where you can do research and ask questions. And so I recommend that you begin to understand the illness itself. So when you do, and you're talking to the doctor, you have an understanding. You can go, well, I'm not sure if that's just the illness. Could it perhaps be something else? Let me give you an example. My mom, a couple of years ago, went through colon cancer. And I got her to the emergency room thinking that she was having a congestive heart failure attack because she was, you know, really having trouble breathing. The swelling went up, got her to the emergency room. They run her blood work. Her heart failure numbers are up. I always ask to see the blood work because I know all my mom's blood work. So I think it's important as a caregiver that you know what's normal blood work for your family member. And I saw that her hemoglobin and hematocrit numbers were significantly lower than they've ever been. So I talked to one of the, the doctors in the ER and they said, yes, make sure that somebody looks at this. And I get up to the room and the hospitalist wants nothing to do with that number. They're like, oh, the number's okay. And it was like eight. I mean, it was crazy low for somebody. And mom's pulmonologist comes in and he said, you know, we're in end stage. Her emphysema has progressed. There is nothing further I can do. Meanwhile, the other doctors are running um, CAT scans of her abdomen. They think there might be a bleed, but this guy is ready to give my mom morphine and wipe her off the face of the earth. I <laughs> I took a breath, walked out of the room. He walked out of the room. I followed him down to the end of the hall, and I said, is there perhaps another option? You're strictly looking at her lungs. Is there another mechanism in the body? You know, and I'm using the word mechanism. I'm an engineer. You don't have to. But I, basically what you need to think about with these doctors is say, is there another possibility? Because most doctors unlike functional medicine, like you are, are very specific. They have one focus. They're looking at the heart. They're looking at the lungs. They're looking at the, the GI tract, right? So you have to be the team coordinator, the patient advocate. And he goes, well, you know, her hemoglobin and her manicrit were really low. And I said, well, what does that have to do? Now, I knew because I did research, right? I Googled low hematocrit, low hemoglobin on, on my phone, right? My smartphone. <laughs> So let's and, tell our audience real quick, a low hemoglobin, low hematocrit, that means anemia. So a low blood iron count, could be low B vitamin count, could be other reasons, you know, chronic infection, blood loss, et cetera, can cause anemia. And that makes you feel weak. Um, a normal hemoglobin hematocrit for someone, like for our parents, for women is, is going to be, um, uh, you want it between 11 and 13 for men, really between 13 and 16 they typically will run higher. So, you know, a, a hemoglobin of eight is gonna make you feel tired, confused, weak, muscle weakness, um, and just, you know, downright lethargic, just really, you know, off. Yeah, and her iron was about 20 points below the bottom of the range, which is also really bad. So they felt there's a bleed somewhere. And he finally said, well, you know, if she doesn't have enough iron and she doesn't have enough hemoglobin, then she's going to have a harder time breathing. I said, okay, so what do we do? 
And he said, all right, let's give her an infusion. Let's give her some IV iron and give her some blood. And um, are you okay over there? I know, I know you're dealing with a cold, which is so not you. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I was coughing uh, and uh, appreciate that. Yeah, no, just uh, struggling with my voice a little bit, a little raw. And, um, but thank you. And we're, I, I think that's great, though, that I, I'm, I'm not happy you're having it, but I think it's important for us to talk about the health of a caregiver because we always put ourselves last. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make is he ended up giving her blood infusions, IV iron, and all of a sudden my mom could breathe again. Yeah. And then the CAT scans and the ultrasounds showed and that they needed to do a colonoscopy. They did it. They found the mass, got her into surgery that day. And my mom was great after they removed the source of this blood loss and all of that. But if you don't know the signs and symptoms of the illnesses that your family member that you're caregiving for, or friends for that matter, it, then you can't ask the right questions because you're just going to blindly believe that everything's related to it. And it's not. So I think that's a big tip. And when you speak to them, speak with respect. But if, and I, I you know, you've probably seen this with your, your dad and even some of your patients, um, you know, who might've gone to a hospital or something, if you're not feeling confident that the doctor is at the best for your, your family member, go above them. Well, well so, I mean, get a second opinion. I mean, I yeah. mean that's really key. Get a, don't be afraid of second opinions and third opinions. Your doctor is not going to dismiss you for getting a second opinion. I remember, you know, when clients said, do you mind if I get a second opinion? I encourage you to get a second yeah. opinion. If a doctor says, well, I'm going to dismiss dismiss you but also when you ask for your medical records let them know I'm just getting a second opinion I'm not changing doctors or you will be dismissed so those are key things to know is like because well the another doctor will request your medical records and then that doctor will dismiss you from the practice because okay point of care is transferred so you want to be really clear when you do request medical records for a second opinion that you let that office know look I'm just getting a second opinion you know, still want to be a part of this practice. I just need to be really confident in the decisions. And it always is a good idea to get a second opinion, according to Dr. Anna Kabeca. <laughs> Put it on yeah, me. And, and also, you know, treat the medical professional the way you would want to be treated. And remind them, and I've done this multiple times, make it human for them. If this was your mom, what would you do? If this was your dad, what would you do? What would you be saying? What would you want said to you? And I can't tell you how many times I've shifted a medical professional because I brought it into a way that they can understand. That's an excellent and, and, point. Yeah. yeah. And how would it, you, it, you know, to be treated or what would you do if this was your mom? How would you address it if this was your dad? I mean, that's so true. I want to also relay to our audience that's listening. First, if you haven't um, caught my blogs on caregiving lately, go to uh, drannacabeca.com forward slash blog, and you'll be able to catch a, a, a list of blogs. But also there's one I had written uh, a little while back when, um, and the subject line is, he's 79, he's had a good life. So just like what you said about your mom, 
I, I spoke to my dad's cardiologist of 30 years on the phone. I said, dad's really not doing good. He's like, Anna, you know, he's 79. He's had a good life. Well, that was 10 years ago. We'll be celebrating his 90th birthday this year. And I talk about what I did in that, in that time, you know, did a detox program, got him on intramuscular testosterone, bumped his vitamin D levels up, really started him on a very healthy protein, fat, no grain diet, took away his alcohol momentarily, but he'll still have his Glenlivich once a night. So that's okay. But um, so I can't take away a Navy man's beer. But uh, he, he did for a while. And really, my dad's, um, you went down from 120 units of insulin a day to 20 units of insulin a day. And over That's the huge. past couple months since he's been living with me, working to optimize his health, continuing him on his intramuscular testosterone, which we had forgotten, you know, with everything else for quite a while, that definitely makes a difference and it helps support his cardiac muscle. Um, contrary to some news media opinion, but we can go into that research at another time. But also his hemoglobin A1C is 5.3. Now that's pretty that's great. awesome because for a diabetic yeah. have a hemoglobin A1C under six is considered a boon. I mean, it was nine. So the you know, nutrition, fluids, the right amino acids, the right minerals, and, and definitely boosting up his immune system is really key. Now, there's certain things we have to fight, like this respiratory infection, which he had, and um, I think he's a carrier with, and that's caused some issues, but we, we had to restart an antibiotic. But these things, you know, restart an antibiotic, dose him back up with probiotics and good Saccharomyces species, knowing to do these things, these cocktails, can really make a difference in our parents' lives. So 10 years ago, I was asked to write off my father. He's 89, and I'm definitely counting on celebrating his 90th birthday. So yeah, there's, there's doctors. Are, yeah, doctors are so quick. Most doctors, not all. You know, like because I've I've met some amazing doctors like yourself, and and some more traditional, who just because somebody is over the age of 75, they don't immediately say, well, they're they've had a good life. They go, well, something's changed. Let's look at it, you know. Um, urinary tract infections, such a huge thing, right? In an older person, I discovered this with my dad with Parkinson's because he had to use a catheter all the time. So he would have to self-catheterize. And he kept falling. He was more disoriented. He was, um, you know, like kind of wandering or whatever. And I didn't know what was wrong. So I took him to the emergency room and his regular doctor said, Parkinson's gone to another level. And I'm like, I don't think this makes sense. So I started talking to the ER doctor and he goes, your dad catheterizes, doesn't he? And he said, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm going to take a urine sample. And I said, why? And he goes, because he might not be having any pain, but in older people, it manifests as mental breathing and dizziness and, and fainting and bam, massive urinary tract infection. They threw him on an antibiotic. He was great. Oh, that's a great point. Another thing to do to prevent urinary tract infections, anyone who gets more than one urinary tract infection period, or certainly if they're getting more than one or two a year, we want to put you on 4,000 units of vitamin C. 4, okay, I'm writing that down. <laughs> yes, write this down. 4,000 units of vitamin C a day. And that's really important because that will stave away a, a urinary infection. 
So 4,000 units of vitamin D, uh, I'm sorry, vitamin C, C as in cat, vitamin C per day. Any particular formulation, you know, ascorbic acid or, or I, whatever? I use maybe. blend and like on my website, I have our Pura C Plus and you can look at that at drannacabeca.com, the wellness store. So the Pura C Plus and look at those ingredients. I mean, that's my favorite blend because it's a combination. Um, but, you know, the powder blends that you can mix in their drink, like, um, um, I don't know, those powder blends that you mix. I don't get them because I, I used our vitamin C. But um, so there are some vitamin C packets. Just make sure there's no sugar. Sugar feeds infection. So right. make sure there's no sugar in it. But uh, something like that, just increasing your vitamin C to 4,000 I use, that seems to be the magic number. That's, that's great to know. I wrote that down. Okay. I like to keep those little nuggets <laughs> nearby just in case. Yeah. So, so the way we speak to our doctors and kind of, you know, getting second opinions, I'm always happy to have another perspective. I have my list of friends, you know, that I, that my colleagues that are all, you know, functional medicine, age management medicine trained and say, okay, well, what would you do in this circumstance? Right. What would you do if we're trying to avoid this? Or what do you think we need to do? And it's a conventional, I mean, there's, a combinations like coming at it from different angles and something I may not have even thought about they're gonna right. bring my attention so for you the caregiver listening getting a second opinion going to an integrative nutritionist or you know adding some complementary things don't forget the importance of physical therapy movement is so key and would a little bit of progesterone pregnenolone cream help such a good diuretic and good for brain health and bone health so a little bit of progesterone pregnenolone and um, something like that can be very beneficial to our, and I use a cream, like I use a cream for my dad because he takes enough medicines. I don't want to add yeah. to the digestive tract, right? So, um, and then a sublingual melatonin at night to help him get some sleep. So those are key things we can do an integrated perspective that we're not, you know, the nephrologist may not think about, the endocrinologist may not think about, the family practitioner has just got their plates full and right. they just, you know, I mean, gosh, they, I don't know how they do what they do, honestly. So it does become our responsibility as a caregiver to say, okay, wait, I'm not willing to take this as an end all be all. What else can I do? What other angle can I take? You know, what, what, is there anything else that I can add? And, um, and I, I think that's crucial for all of us to know because what's going to make them healthier is going to make us healthier and that's yeah. key. So let's talk about dealing with the caregiver's physical health and what did you experience? What have you experienced in caregiving? Well, one of the things that I learned with the caregiving, and you know, I talk about it in my book a bit, but it's this whole concept of you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Mm. And have you ever seen the Harry Potter movies? I've read all the books. Okay, so in the books they talk about how the the paintings, the people can move from painting to painting and look in at their other painting and and really talk and and so on. And the concept to me was so brilliant. So caregiving for my mom and her health and my own health, you know, I have to step outside the frame of my perceived reality and say, I think everything's good. You know, this can't be related to stress or, you know, I should just be able to handle it and step back and really look with 
an open brain, an open heart, and an open eye and say, how is this really affecting me? Not just head down, must go do this, have to complete every single task that I used to do. And for my own health, I've really had to let go of things, which has been hard. I'm so extreme, type A, hyperachiever. You know, I ran a multi-state company while I volunteered on all sorts of boards and had a life and did this and, you know, donated tons of time and, and played and, and, you know, ran my own house. And some days I can't even turn on my computer because it's just so overwhelming and I stopped booking myself out as a speaker because I couldn't travel. I had such guilt about being away. What if something happened? Nobody could take care of my mother as well as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And recently, um, Anna, what I've had to do is literally step back from that and say, is that serving me? Is it serving my mom to feel guilty about having my own life? Still struggling with it a little bit. <laughs> Oh, I, I hear your voice catch on that, you know, because there's that deep guilt. Like, what if something happened while I was away? What yeah. if, you know, and it's how do you, you know, how do you frame your, um, frame your life around that? Because, you know, we need that time away. We need refueling. We need, uh, without a doubt, we need self-care. We say resentment is lack of self-care, but also, you know, the emotional, physical consequences of lack of, uh, lack of self-care. We're giving, 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 plus preoccupied mentally with what if, what if, what if. Yeah, and I became so hypervigilant that I was just on adrenal overload, which, of course, leads to adrenal fatigue and all sorts of other stuff. And, uh, you know, you can talk on this forever and we should have a conversation on on my radio show about all of that kind of stuff but what I began to realize was how much harm I'm doing to myself I don't know how to fix it yet Um, I literally stopped my business for two years two years I, I just all of a sudden I looked up and I went I've done a lot of stuff for people but never charged them because I was afraid that tomorrow I might not feel good enough or something might happen with my mom so I didn't feel I could honor all those commitments if I took on clients or if I took a speaking gig. What happens if something happens to mom and I'm supposed to be on a stage somewhere? She's my priority. So I'm learning. I'm really learning how to build me time. Actually, not even me. Build me back into the equation of caring for my mom. Because as we said earlier, it's not like having a child. It's it's different. She's not going to get better. She's only going to get worse. So I want to treasure every moment. And I'm close to my mom. My mom is my best friend, has always been. I was really close to my dad. I think some of it's because my brother died, right? And it it became just the three of us. So I would encourage anybody out there who's caregiving is figure out me, figure out you, figure out where or how you can even build 10 minutes into your day to do something that enables you to go. And it seems so simple, but even just that moment taking the breath, I felt my whole body go, oh, wait, that was just about me. That felt good because you you get like this, right? I mean, you're seeing it with your dad and, you know, he's living with you and running back and forth to the doctors. 
You can pay for caregivers, but try to find a really good one, right? Try to find somebody who will pay attention to your family member the way you will. Mm. I'm paying $16 an hour for somebody. And I've gotten quotes as high as $20, $25 an hour. It's, it's not inexpensive to have somebody else reliable and good <laughs> and that your parent, in my case, my parent will get along with. Right? right. So, so those are just a, a couple of things. I mean, what have, what have you discovered with your dad? I love your blogs. They've been great. I've learned a lot just reading them recently. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I, what I've discovered, I haven't added any other caregiver at this point, you know, because um, he's, he's doing well overall. If we can keep him from getting an infection, keep him, you know, in delicate balance with that whole dialysis issue. But so he's been doing good. But there's times like, okay, um, you know, I need to, you know, I've got to run errands for my, my daughter. You know, I need to run here, there. We have dance and horseback riding, I have work to do, and I have to designate, you know, what we need to do, and I can't be in two places at one time, so I'm going to call a friend that will help, Um, and and there are volunteers, and there are friends, and, you know, people that we're afraid to ask, but would be more than happy to help when they, when and if they can, so I think that's a really big part, it's like, okay, well, now I'm kind of generating a list of people that said, Hey, I'll come sit with your dad if you ever need me to, or I can run errands for him or I can pick him up or whatever I need. to." And I haven't had to call on it yet, but yet, you know, like today I should have, right. We rescheduled our meeting time and we struggled because I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I can do it all. And I'm like, okay, Laura, can you please bump this back an hour and a half? Cause I got to go to this nephrology appointment. And this is, and and I was able to, and you were able to, so I'm, I'm so thankful. But it's that, you see, there's, there was that struggle. I could call someone to help or I could do it myself and rearrange my schedule, which once in a while, I think that's great. But if that continues, that would wear me out. That mean, it yeah. would wear out my relationships, right? Because if I'm constantly rescheduling and showing up late and all this, not taking care of myself. Right, which leads to what we had mentioned earlier that you had so brilliantly said, isolation and you don't realize it it's a subtle thing it's very sneaky the way caregivers end up isolating themselves because they don't you know the person they're caregiving for is so afraid of being a burden but the caregiver doesn't want to be a burden on their friends either and the need keeps increasing so you're like oh I'll wait I'll wait I'll wait and your conversations become all about the person you're caregiving for and people drop off So you have to be careful. And now is the time. I'm just going to throw this to you, Anna. A friend probably could have taken your dad this morning if you have that list. But we want to do for them, right? Because they were always there for us. Right. Right. Absolutely. And there was that okay. Sometimes, too, understanding as even with my daughter, I have play dates scheduled. Sometimes, I mean, it's a lot to just schedule a play date, right? But Going to that next, you I mean, doing that would give you some time, give another mom some time. And so swapping is really great, you know, sharing, sharing your blessings um, is a great thing. But, but sometimes it takes that little bit, that little bit of organization. And I want to tell an already busy caregiver, 
take that time for yourself to just kind of schedule out your, you know, next few days in a row and say, okay, where do I need help? And who can yeah. I ask for help? And let's, let's, let, let me do that, you know, and, and, and don't feel guilty, right? Guilt, guiltless and shameless couch talk. So don't feel guilty about taking that time for yourself. You're doing a service by keeping yourself healthy, right? Put your own oxygen mask on first. Right. And um, I found this great tool that if I want to take a walk and my mom's in the house alone because she refuses to get the I've fallen and can't get up button for whatever reason, she thinks it's a horrible thing and she doesn't want to get it. I got a camera. I have a surveillance camera in my house. They, you can get nanny cams that are buried in um, teddy bears or you can just get some surveillance cameras. Most of them will blend in with furniture now and you can strategically paste them around the house. And on my iPhone, I have a secure app because of course I'm a geek, so I have to make sure that everything's really secure and I can see my mom in the house when I walk out. So if for some reason I have to leave her alone, my fear was what if she fell? What if, you know, she cut herself? What if whatever? And the camera I got, it's a D-Link camera. It actually has a, a microphone in it. So I can hear what's going on. And if I need to, I can talk to her. Okay. So tell me more about this because the other day dad had fallen getting up from his chair and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was out, I had run an errand and I was back in two hours. And when I checked on back on him, he was on the ground. He goes, well, I, I said, when did you fall? I goes, just when you left. I was like, oh my gosh. Right. So it makes you feel even worse. Cell phone. And he he's I couldn't find it while he was laying on it. And so, okay, so that's not working. Okay. Tell me what will, tell me your gizmo gadget setup. <laughs> well, well, first off, I know it's really hard. The family member does not want to get, I've fallen and can't get up button, but they're fantastic. They can get them as a bracelet. They can get them as a necklace. Okay. Um, most of the hospitals in the area, there's advertisements all over the place for them. They will detect a fall. Okay. So they will literally detect if somebody has fallen and they will reach out to that person. And if that person is non-responsive, they will call your cell phone or a neighbor to go check on them before they call 911. So it's like having somebody there, all right? So I, I'm a big believer in the Life Alert systems. Okay. There's several different companies. The prices range anywhere from, I think, 20 to $30 a month up to 50 to 60, depending on how many features you want in it and, and the distance away from the house. Okay. Then the, the D-Link makes wonderful surveillance cameras. A D-Link? Okay. D-Link. And they're secure as long as, and if anybody wants to, they can email me at laura at laurasteward.com. And I'm happy to talk to them about some of the technology and security stuff. That's just my gift to anybody out there. I'm happy to, to talk about it because there's some security things you want to make sure you do so that hackers and bad people can't use the camera to see if there's somebody home and break into your house. So you have to be careful with that. So um, what I, the D-Line cameras are great because they have an app and you can string multiple cameras together. So now the issue is, uh, and excuse me, as we've said, I'm caregiving. My mother is calling me. Hold on. 
Okay. Well, I think that's super cool is what she's saying is that the uh, life alert, which I've Googled right now, alert buttons and came across lifealert.com and then also D-Link, so lifealert.com and then D-Link, um, us.dlink.com or a couple other resources. So here's a couple good options for you that I think the life alert button, that sounds great. I think that's definitely going to be um, it, something that would it's like a lifesaver, not only for the person who's ill or getting older or, or needs some monitoring, but for the caregiver because you just know there's always somebody there, even if you can't be. Now, with the D-Link cameras, one of the things you want to think about is are you only watching for live or do you perhaps want to see what they're doing when you're not home? For me, I was concerned that my mom wasn't using her walker when she was walking around the house and that she might walk around without her oxygen or be doing some dangerous things. So I got the camera that lets you put in like a little camera SD card. So it records and I can go back and look at what happened while I was gone. And you can string together eight cameras and put an external hard drive on it. And they're really simple and easy to do. D-Link made it so simple to do. They walk you through every little step. So you have to decide if you just need the moment or if you need to go back in time on it. And the price points are anywhere from 40 to $80 per camera. Well worth it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're out of the home and you need to just check and see how they're doing or they're calling you, is it emergency or is it something that can, they're safe and sound and that's really key. So for our listeners at um, Dr. L I'm sorry, at laurastewart.com forward slash couch talk, Laura has some um, gifts for you on that page. So she'll tell us about that. So laurastewart.com forward slash couch talk, and that'll get you some beautiful, awesome gifts from Laura. And also just her book, What What a Wise Woman Do, Questions to Ask Along the Way. It would be an excellent addition to your library. So I want to encourage you. Laura, I'm just so honored that you've spent this time with us today and have taken this valuable time and also rescheduled due to my caregiving schedule. I appreciate that very much. I'm very grateful. Will you close with some last um, uh, ending words of advice for our listeners? You know, it, it's been such an honor to be here today, Anna, because this topic is, is so near and dear to my heart. And what I, would in, what I would like to sort of a last thought to leave everybody that's caregiving or knows somebody that's caregiving is give yourself a break. You're not going to be perfect while you're doing it. There are some days I am so angry. And that ninth time my mom asked the same question in, the, in five minutes, I'll snap and then I'll apologize and, and I'll, I'll be like, why am I snapping? And it's because it's so hard to watch. So please give yourself a break, reach out to some friends, surround yourself with people who, you know, are going through the same situations and people that are just there because you need somebody to cry on. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've just called a friend and cried. You know, and you can tell I'm emotional right now. Yeah. Oh, it's so, hard. yeah, and you just really need to give yourself a break because if you don't take care of yourself, 
you can't be there for the one you love who needs your help. Right. And so I would add to that nourishing yourself, right? The healthy, healthy choice foods, lots of greens, alkaline broth or bone broth. Those are wonderful additions for you and something our parents can easily eat and also supporting your neurotransmitters. So sometimes adding 5-HTP, our, our product is Pura Mood, and then supporting your progesterone, pregnenolone, the up-level neuro, right. you know, hormonal support. That's really key too, because we got to keep filling our tanks because we're burning out. And when we feel that um, edginess, that irritation, et cetera, we have to say, okay, I am out. Oh yeah, I would say the monster within me came out. <laughs> And, um, and, and so we're, we're feeling that edge and we need to, again, okay, that's a, that's a symptom. That's an early symptom of, I need to, I need to take care of myself a little better. What do I need to, what do I need to do? What do I need to balance? Maybe it's a walk outside for an hour and a half or something, or even five minutes taking a quick walk outside and getting fresh air, getting sunlight. Those are crucially important for balancing our bodies. So I want to encourage, and then sleep because you worry, you get up, you check, you get up, you go back to sleep, you get up, you check, you go back to sleep. So getting deep, restful sleep is really important and then kind of creating some boundaries around that so you can get a full night's sleep, which again is crucially important. I love all the advice you've given, Laura. Tell us, our, our listeners, what they'll get when they go to laurastewart.com forward slash couch talk. So what they'll get is some sample chapters from my book, which helps you figure out how to ask the right questions. And you know what? I will put uh, what's going to be up there. Um, well, actually, what is up there, right, is the chapter on self-care and caregiving and personal crisis. Normally, I give away different sample chapters, but I think this is so important to have the chapter about, um, you know, dealing with personal crisis and stuff like that. Also, a workbook on how to ask better questions. And then the information on the D-League cameras. There, there are links up there to take you to the specific ones that I bought. And um, hopefully that will help. And then obviously anybody who wants to reach out to me at laura at laurasteward.com or on the contact form on the website, I'm happy to answer whatever questions I can around the cameras or anything else that I've learned. We have to help each other. Mm-hmm. We do sticking together. It's been beautiful to talk with you today, Laura. Thank you so much again for sharing your time. Thank you to all our listeners and especially all of you caregivers out there. And those of you who can help out a caregiver. So grateful for you being with us today. You can listen on YouTube and watch the video. Or you can also listen and share the podcast on iTunes. So look forward to seeing you again on our next Couch Talk. This is Dr. Anna Kabeca. God bless. Have a good day.